there was a time in my career that I, I was like, you, you know, Tesla, 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 like we have to build the biggest, best thing. We have to go all in. We gotta, we gotta solve all the problems at the same time. Right. But that was like an immature, honestly, it was an immature view. And now I understand, like, you can't start that way. Not everybody. Tesla didn't build Tesla overnight, right? Elon didn't do that overnight. That took years, right? Of planning, of money, of time, of energy, of talent. So sometimes we have to build Toyotas or Cadillacs or like tiny little Pintos, right? Which is a little car that used to be around way back in the day. So we just have to scale because if we don't start where we're at, right, if we try to bite off more than we can chew, we will not finish. Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day they built for hours and hours, but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast and newsletter came to help them find the way. Because of this, makers became founders and earned the money they deserve. Because of this, founders can have growth, freedom, and wealth until tomorrow. No Code becomes the next big skill that changes the future of humanity. That's what I'm all about. Hello, my name is Abdulaziz, and from an ethical hacker to a European Ivy League business graduate to a hypnotherapist to a growth marketer, I've lost everything twice, and now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day. The No Code Wealth podcast and newsletter are for the makers and founders who have the proactivity, perspective, and persistence to go on this journey with me and get the answers about money, marketing, and mindsets so that makers become earners, earners become founders, and founders get freedom and create wealth. And thank you all so much for the support. This podcast is now ranking very nicely on Apple in the entrepreneurship category. Top 200 in San Francisco, top 60 in Germany, top 50 in the UK, top 30 in Sweden, top 25 in Italy, and top 25 in India. So Thank you. Please keep going. Keep rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing. My guest today is Anna Oaks from Illinois State University to Alverno College, from Meta House to Culture Amp to TEDx, from Manpower Inc. to Startup X to Oaks Co. Anna Oaks is a change agent who combines her love for humanity with her 20 years of corporate experience and over four years as an entrepreneur. Acting as a leader, coach, and strategic business advisor, Anna helps organizations, teams, and leaders enhance performance through a focus on humanity and the bottom line. And a fun fact, she had a drum-off once with Prince's drummer at Drumlin's camp. So, Anna, how are you today? I'm so good. Thank you for that powerful introduction for me and also for your cast. Like you are doing such amazing work. I'm so happy to be joining you today. We're going to have fun. We're going to play a lot. So I'll begin with one very unexpected question. Where in your life were you challenged in a mental way that made you think this is important? I have to help people with this. 
So many times. I say, um, Abdulazi, that I was uh, raised by hippies, right? So these, you know, sort of these uh, people of the earth, people of the world, people of the community. Um, and, and that says a lot about me. So I would say, but, but as an entrepreneur, I'm going to refer to one moment that uh, I don't think I was as focused and prepared my first two years out. I celebrate five years in March. So right before, you know, that three-year mark or probably two and a half to three-year mark, I realized that I couldn't just go where people asked me to go. I needed to really think about where I wanted my energy to go and what I wanted to do with my voice. And as I meditated on that, I kept hearing this message, like restore humanity, restore humanity. And I thought like, ah, that's too woo-woo. That's too hippie. People are not going to resonate with that. And in the end, it was not, it didn't matter to me. Like that is my calling. My calling is to restore humanity into our work and our workplaces. And I do that in a lot of different ways, but I always come back to that. I have to stay true to that alignment of my strengths and my voice, of my passion, um, and how I really think I can impact uh, this world. Wonderful. And so I have to ask many things. One, I imagine you were raised, and like I've seen in the documentary, Wild Wild Country, in that Osho <laughs> community. So now I'm imagining you being raised no. in such an atmosphere, wearing <laughs> such hippie clothes, and therefore totally uh, different to what an entrepreneur who was raised to be uh, the next Elon Musk probably would have been. Because I even remember a story about Richard Branson, where he was raised by his family in a way where they would even leave him out of the car in the middle of the forest and tell him, okay, figure your way back home. And he loved that. It wasn't, I mean, it sounds cruel, but it was like for him, such a challenge to think, okay, I'm a child. This There is this forest. Probably they looked from far away, I'm sure. They're, or probably they're crazy. I don't know. Maybe they're hippies too. So <laughs> they, he would need to figure out how to return home, just like a lost puppy or a cat. But he said that served him in entrepreneurship more than anything. And I don't wish anyone to do that for any child. But that was his story. So to you, to ask you on a deeper, deeper level, Look, someone with your background and with that message, which is very positive, but both spiritual as well as non-materialistic, why did you choose the path of entrepreneurship rather than joining some um, NGO or some mm -hmm. think tank or something where you keep discussing with people conceptual things all day or becoming an academic? Yeah. That's a great, ooh, okay. So, you know, my parents always say like, stop saying that we were hippies because you do get these visions of these communes and these things. But I get at the essence of what my parents gave me was this grounding of you make an impact where you are in your work, in your community, in your city, in your neighborhood, in your friendship circle. Like you aren't just here to exist. Like you are here to connect and you're here to make an impact, right? And that's what I that's what I took away from them. So when you ask, why did I become an entrepreneur? Why did I choose that? Honestly, it was a really rough road to make that decision. I agonized about it for two years before I left uh, the working within an organization, right? So I, I served almost twenty years in organizations, two years, uh, two in small companies 
two in mid-sized, two in large-sized. And I was at a mid-sized company when I left, and I was being groomed to be the chief human capital officer. She was retiring. They wanted me to take over. But really, for those last two years I was there, I was very honest that, whew, I am so honored that you were even considering me for this, uh, even though, you know, it's no guarantee, but they were even considering it for me. But I don't know if my heart's in it. And I couldn't understand why. I thought, girl, you are not even 40 yet. And they are offering you this position. They're already paying you well. They're already flexible with you. That both, you know, that, that pay is going to increase. Your, your um, you know, prestige could increase, whatever, right? You, you talk yourself into thinking why you should do something. But no matter what I tried, I thought I couldn't get there. So I explored everything, like running a nonprofit, working for this. Like you, you, you named all those things. I thought, oh, should I go do those things? Finally, I locked myself in a cabin in northern Wisconsin. It was a friend's cabin. And I didn't say, you're coming out of this cabin with a decision, Anna. But I did say, you just need to get grounded. Like, get quiet. You are hearing too much noise. You've been exploring too many things. Like, what happens if you just get quiet? And my company leaders, the CEO, the chairman, the, the current chief human capital officer knew I was going. And, you know, we're sort of waiting when I got back. Like, what, what was I going to say? And I had this moment, I was reading this book called Let Your Life Speak by an author named Parker Palmer. And it and it is, you know, more on that spiritual side of things, but it is about aligning to your purpose and to your power, right? And it just came to me like in knowing, right? Just knowing that I was going to go out on my own. And at the time that meant you are not going to work within an organization anymore, and that's an important distinction for me because as somebody who worked as a change agent for almost 20 years inside organizations, helping with their business strategy, the way we leverage people for better business results uh, or organizational effectiveness, that, that's that's a lot of work. And, and I don't win every argument, nor did I think I would. But after doing that for so long, um, I was tired, right? And working in an organization, like living in a family is much different than visiting a family, right? So I thought, ooh, I feel like I need to work on organizations and companies for a while and not be in one, right? I need to be a partner to them, but not be in there. So that was my first realization, honestly. One, one second, been, this, is, this yeah. is very beautiful, but I have to ask, <laughs> you're using a mix of metaphors that are spatial and metaphors mm. that are visual. And the spatial metaphors are for people who are kinesthetic, who are embodied, who like to be present in the moment and trust their instincts and more of someone who could be a yogi kind of person or an mm -hmm. athlete or something like that, while you use more of visual um, kinds of metaphors, although less. So I'm wondering how your brain works. How do you perceive the world? Do you imagine have like one of those chess masters or even Nikola Tesla, where he visualizes systems and what should happen and the map, because you used also another metaphor of a journey and of going in the right direction or in the wrong direction. And that if you're aligned towards your purpose, which will be the destination, then you are going correctly. But if you're going to someone else's destination, as I will say in Hinduism, in the Bhagavad Gita, that it's much better to live your life and fail at your path or dharma than to succeed following someone else's path or dharma, which seems to be like the the prime directive in a, in a way uh, for your life. Yeah. So I'm wondering, how do you view the world? Are you more of a fully emotional, embodied 
person who trusts your instincts and you calm down and relax into your body to get the answers and know what to do next? Or are you more of a visual kind that sees a map and consequences and chains of events and through visual thinking you know what to do next and the voice is more of a guiding vision or is it more of an emotional uh, inner compass ah okay i will say that i i believe i'm a hybrid and here's why First of all, we talked about how I was, uh, you know, raised. I am also certified in yoga therapy, so I have read all those ancient texts that you, you know, some of those texts that you mentioned, and um, that 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 seat, that knowledge that I have, that that uh, I should say, quest for knowledge and input. I'm high input. I want to learn. I want to understand how people see the world. So that's a big part of of me. I think in my natural state, Abdulaziz, that I am very intuitive. So I do um, operate from that place, as you said, that I can fall into my body and understand, is, is this the direction that I need to take? And my top strength, two of my top strengths are futuristic thinking and strategic thinking. So you combine those two and I can almost like instantly see where we need to go, where something is going to go and how it's going to get there or the best route to get there. So it is this really weird, as you, and nobody's ever asked me that question before, so it's so good. It's a weird combination of being able to trust my gut, but also really understanding how to set a destination and how to set a path to get there. And then I think my gut guides uh, guides me or whoever I'm helping uh, get on that way, whatever company or leader or person. I love that answer because we have a lot of commonalities in there, but I have to ask something. In this world, a lot of very smart people are full of self-doubt, where people who aren't so smart, they are way, way too confident, and it's like the uh, Dunning-Kruger effect, where people who are not even smart enough to realize they're dumb, they're overconfident, <laughs> while well, the opposite of that is very smart people know that life is full of uncertainty, it's probabilistic rather than deterministic, and therefore they have lower confidence than you know uh, people yeah. who are not at that level of intelligence. But you trust your gut. If you were speaking to someone, maybe a listener, who are very intelligent, they can have that futuristic strategic thinking, but they don't have that gut trust. What beliefs, principles, or understandings give you that full trust in your gut that maybe by sharing them or a story, you can transfer some of your confidence to others, helping the world become a better place. Yeah. So for somebody, because I hear it the other way too, Abdulaziz, that there's somebody who operates primarily with gut, but maybe less intelligence. And I always say like, then you have to get educated. You cannot be ignorant. You have to have data-driven decisions. So for me, it's, it's both, right? That I will trust my gut and I will gather enough data to help me make those decisions to go forward. So if you're talking to somebody who is high intelligence and maybe low in terms of their trust or their gut or their intuition, whatever words you want to use there, uh, maybe emotive, right? Less emotive. The beliefs, the principles, for me, it comes down to self-awareness. Like, I think, first of all, you need to respect that you lead with your intelligence. And that is not a bad thing. I am all about aligning with who you naturally are. 
And not everybody operates like me and that's okay, but I do. So that works for me. Like we should find out what works for ourselves. Like we don't want to be um, trying to be something we're not that's not sustainable and it will not be effective, right? So I think making sure that we are honoring who we are. And if you really are an intelligent person who says, maybe I'm spending too much time in the facts, maybe I'm spending time gathering too much data and I need to make quicker decisions, right? Because that's a real leader, right? That balance is a real leadership trait. So I think you've got to practice self-awareness and acceptance of that, celebrating what your natural strengths are and then pushing yourself or setting up processes that push yourself, right? That could be as simple as setting a timer. That could be, you know, to make a small decision, or that could be as simple as giving yourself a deadline to make a bigger decision. Um, that could be surrounding yourself with people who are more intuitive, who do operate more from emotion or gut, right? So that you're sort of balancing that because look, we are energetic beings and the people that we are surrounded with will affect us. So part of that is not if you are intelligent and you want to practice, you know, tapping into that natural, really inner intelligence, right, intuition, then surround yourself with people who do that really well, and you will naturally start to elevate that. I love that you're speaking about what's known in systems theory that often the bottleneck of any system is the bigger system it's inside or the environment, which means that you cannot be the fullest, best you can be if you're surrounded with people who are uh, a limitation basically because of the mirror neurons we have. We just mimic others way too subconsciously and too much that it's almost the fact that we are the average of the five people we're most yeah. surrounded with. So that's absolutely brilliant and great and fantastic advice. And I have to return to something you mentioned. You said that's a real leader or that's a true leader. To you, what is the definition of leadership? To be succinct in a definition. Okay. And I want people to hear me. You can be a good founder, you could be a good subject matter expert and not be a leader. Those are things that you can be. Those are hats. Those are labels that you can wear and you can be brilliant at those. But if you truly want to be a leader, leader for me involves humility, right? And, and what I mean by humility, and I think people would say um, flexibility, but let me, let me sort of draw that, that, that uh, gap between those two words. For me, why I say humility is they're really intelligent. If they've gotten to that point, right, of a, of a founder and executive, you are, you are wicked smart and you cannot make all your ideas the best ideas. You cannot be a leader with 10,000 servants. That is not sustainable for you. And by the way, that is not providing meaningful, engaging work for your people. Therefore, they will actually not perform to their maximum for you. And therefore you're wasting your time and money in the end, right? So humility for me is about being able to say, I have a lot of great ideas, but I need to give it to, give it to the group, right? And I'm going to go with them sometimes because I need to trust. I need to be open that there are good ideas that are, don't always come from me. doesn't always have to be my way, right? So humility is a big part of that. And I think from, you know, we can, we can certainly talk about the difference of a leader versus like a, a, a true CEO who's running a company. But let me stay with leader for a second. 
a leader, again, for me, especially if you're leading people, it is not your job to do their work for them. You don't dictate what they do. Your job is to provide the resources, support, and encouragement. And I'll add one more, direction. Direction, resources, support, and encouragement. Right? So we're going east, not west. How we're going to go east? Let me hear your ideas. Right? If you're dictating what they do every day, if you're micromanaging, if you are hours over outcomes, then that is not, to me, real leadership, not impactful leadership. So those are two of the biggest ones that I would say, Abdulazi. Look, this is very, very important, and I agree with you 100%, but there is a paradoxical oxymoronic dilemma in there, which is that in psychology, people are drawn to people who are very sure of themselves, which often they're wrong. But to have that humility of asking people for input and uh, for their perspective, which is the correct way, because I believe we each have a piece of the puzzle that is reality and a lot of huge blind spots. And the purpose of each person is to illuminate what they see that other people don't in that huge blind spot we call reality. And through multiplication of perspective, we can have wisdom and the ability to choose the right direction to understand our progress and to overcome biases. But there is also human tendency to think This person doesn't know what they're doing. They're asking me for input. And, well, I'm not really sure. So uh, even very smart people, because very smart people have been conned even in those pyramid schemes. So Mm -hmm. they cannot be uh, uh, levitating above the rest. So to ask you, how can you both show confidence, strength, and assuredness while at the same time showing people that you, like you ask for, you want, you encourage feedback and that you don't have all the answers. I think a big part of that is in operation, right? One of my least favorite phrases in terms of career advice is stay in your lane, right? Because when people have said that historically, it meant keep your head down, mind your business, do the work I told you to do on your job description or this one limited lane that I gave you. I don't want anybody to stay in that lane. I want people to break the lanes out. And if you work inside an organization, I want you to be an intrapreneur of impact. If you work outside an organization, I want you to be a preneur, solopreneur, entrepreneur, whatever you want to be of impact, right? So don't stay in that lane. But where I think stay your lane, stay in your lane comes up to play is in, a, in the words that I use, which is like stay in your zone of, of genius, right? So if you want to show what I call that swagger, right? That that is like, wow, he he or she, they are really good, right? You're going to be able to show that without telling them everything that they need to do. You need to be involved in the big decisions. You need to give input, but you can't give directive on all of those things, right? And, and, And listen, as a person who sat at the table for years with the executive committee and watched them in action, both with as a as a peer group, and then as they go, go went one level down and worked with their direct reports, right? And I saw that how that worked in operation. One thing that I have learned is the farther up you go, the less often you should speak in those meetings, right? Ask inquisitive questions, be curious. But once you share your opinion, that's it, right? That's gold. Even if you have a highly innovative team who's, you know, used to sort of um, 
de deliberating that like the argument, they like the conflict, which by the way, I think needs to exist for true innovation. But even if you have that team, once the leader sort of says like, ah, I kind of feel like this is the way we need to go, human nature, psychology tells us that, that we just want to align, especially if we respect them and we're working well with them, we're just naturally, even like subconsciously going to align to that. So I just tell people like a part of that is show your swagger when you need to. And as a leader, you still have tons of space because listen, be honest, all leaders, most leaders are players and coaches, meaning you have responsibilities to oversee other people to make sure that they're accountable and they're doing the right things. But you also play in your own space. You create, you lead, you, you build strategy, you do something. So let the play be yours and let the coach be theirs. I love that. And I love that you're saying a leader gives direction, not directives. And also this whole discussion you mentioned now reminds me of the masterclass by Daniel Pink, where he said, when he studies a table, the person being spoken to the most is probably more often than not the one with the most power and the one speaking the most is the one who, who probably has no power <laughs> at all so that's how he knows who is the person to persuade in any situation and you mentioned something you said two words that are very succinct but powerful you said true innovation what is that yeah, true innovation. And the reason I say that is because, you know, listen, I help organizations operationalize their culture. That's really, in essence, what I do, right? I can come in, they say I'm having this problem, it's my people, it's this process, it's whatever. But really what it comes down to is figuring out who, who you are as a company, very similar to a person. Who are you at your essence, at your core? Who do you want to become? And how are you going to get there? And then how do we set the systems and process? So often people will say like, oh, well, we're innovative, right? That's part of who we are. Well, most of the time, honestly, I can say that's aspirational for you. You are not yet innovative, right? And most companies, I don't know if innovative is the, is the word. Maybe creative, maybe collaborative is what they're really going for. But if you really want innovation, here's my opinion on that. As somebody who studies a lot about innovation and has watched this in play, in organizations and also in specialized teams, right? So you can talk about these specialized teams that get put together with inside small, mid and large size organizations to be innovative, right? The innovation team, uh, the entrepreneur team, whatever they're called, um, that's one group. But if we really wanna be innovative in our work, it needs to be, I think, brought out of, I mean, design thinking is huge, right? The process of thinking about the end user what are we actually trying to solve? And then backing into it saying, there are a ton of creative ideas that we can use to get there. And by the way, the people who are doing that, the process of getting innovative ideas requires, I believe, requires that conflict, that pull, that tension amongst ideas, amongst people, so that they can truly move and go, oh my gosh, I was going to make like chicken broth. And now we have gumbo. Because somebody else brought chicken to the table and somebody else brought beans and somebody else brought, you know, sausage. Like we now have gumbo, this delicious soup. Broth is good. And I thought we needed broth. But now my broth is in there. But so is everybody else's idea. And that to me, we can talk about how innovation needs to be a truly unique idea, et cetera, et cetera. But like the process of innovation and getting there as a team, as, a, as an operationalized, operationalized work, that's what it looks like to me. 
I love that. It's saying that when people have different backgrounds, different like inputs that they're bringing into the soup, we will end up with something much more delicious and unexpected because that each person is bringing their full self as their as well as their full assets and knowledge and experience and that leads to a much more rich flavorful soup but to ask you now about you personally how do you apply that conflict that leads to innovation and discovery in your own day-to-day life and maybe even in your family life growth and uh, becoming a more competent person Ooh, so how do I use innovation and, and that, those, that type of process for my own development and, my, and, and the development of my companies and ideas? Not even your Is company, that, but your like no. productive day, uh, growth, okay. self-development. Mm. Oh, I love, okay, here. All right. So people think that innovation or creativity is like super messy. And in many aspects, it is because of the conflict and the, and the push and the pull that I just described. But Based on my research and based on honestly my own practices of what I found to get me to the best thing, their structure really helps with that. Again, that goes back to my operationalization of a brain. Like you can put structure to that, and with the structure, actually comes freedom. And not for all people, right? There are the, there are some people that would swear that like I don't want any rules. And again, I operated like that <clears throat> for a good part of my career. Until I realized that that got me here, but that would not get me there. I was not going to maximize my impact if I stayed in this, like, I'm just going with the flow, right? So I needed to set up practices. So the way that my world works is I am, uh, I time block and I'm very dedicated to not thinking about all the work that needs to be done, right? And thinking about how much time that's going to take, because by the way, I could fill 80 hours a week, I could fill 120 hours. You could, it's never ending if you really wanted it to be, right? So instead of that, I think about like, what am I trying to impact right now? And that needs to be like two, three things, maybe, right? And from there, then I can back into saying, in order to do that, how am I best going to use my time? And I personally, I want to work with my kids are at school because I have 10-year-old twins. They are at that crux of becoming like these these brilliant little human adults. It's just ridiculously important for me to be there for them. So I try to be really smart with my time. So everything is blocked off. Uh, I have a certain percentage of time every week that I'm dedicating to connecting with people, certain percentage of time that I want to dedicate to actually doing work. Because people listen, if you are in meetings all day, you're a great socializer, but you are not getting work done. Right. So I have got to make sure everything's color coded. I track my time in an app called Toggle, T-O-G-G-L. My team uses it. I use it. And then I go back and I do analysis every week, every month, every quarter. Where do I need to adjust? Am I spending the time on the right things? Like that, that was fun. But did I really need to do that? Right. Was that worth the time? And I'm not going to shame myself or beat myself up for it. It's forward looking. All right. Interesting. How would I do that better or differently next time? How would I say yes to that commitment, but not spend as much time on it? How would I um, make sure that I'm still connecting um, meaningfully each work each week, but not saying yes to so many requests to connect? So it's just that constant analysis of, and to me, that means that's, I don't know, innovation. We could use that word. That is the process to help me maximize my impact personally and professionally. I really like 
what you're mm -hmm. saying. It reminds me of uh, J.D. Mayer's book, Get and Results, the Agile Way, who used to be an executive at Microsoft, and he used it to ship very, very large projects, as well as you being somewhat of a, a cybernetic system in a human <laughs> form where you use feedback in order to adapt. And that only happens with one thing, knowing the destination and having clarity on what you want so that you can prioritize the problem with most people is probably they're going it's too vague or they're going with the flow and with the wind and there isn't exact crispness and clarity because the origin of the word decide is to kill off which is too too broad like too dangerous it seems like oh my god i'm losing i'm cutting off something forever so i advise people often to use the word choose i choose that vision i choose that clarity i choose to have xyz and it's like the fighter pilots when they train them they say look you're in a situation where you have to make decisions fast make a decision even if it's wrong you can make another decision to correct it but not making any decision is the worst thing you can do when you're flying at that speed you you can crash very easily but you can correct the wrong decision and that's what it is have a vision have clarity on it and yes maybe you'll change your mind along the way mm -hmm. but it's better than not having anything and being too open to anything because you'll float like a leaf in the wind and to ask you then for specificity let's say one of my audience or a client wants to hire you what can they expect what happens exactly so that because humans are afraid of the unknown and even in marketing you should tell them what will happen in the next page what will happen when they click so that there is that kind of certainty that comes from knowing what the next step will be. And like you mentioned, also, when you focus on your goals, you always focus on what is the next step that is right for me right now. So let's say someone wants to contact you. Where, what links should they use and what happens really with clarity? Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, certainly I think LinkedIn is the best place to, to find out more about me and to get to know my style um, on our on our business account, company account, which is Oaks Co. O-A-K-E-S Co. You can watch videos of interviews that I do uh, for our Culture and People cast. You can listen to our long form podcast. You can get connected to our blog and our website. Um, so that's the best way, um, you know, instead of trying to get a long website, find me on LinkedIn, Anna Oaks, O-A-K-E-S. And, you know, how does it work when you work with me? I mean, I work in a couple different buckets. You know, first of all, I'm a founder on one side, and, and that bucket looks like, you know, coaching, consulting, speaking, workshops, right, that type of thing. And the bucket just it depends on what size they need, right? Where do I need to meet them at? And I think that's very indicative. So when you ask, like, what's it like to work with me? What does the process really look like? I would love to tell you that there is this, you know, it's going to, it's two weeks of this, three weeks of this, blah, blah, blah. I can try to project that out for you when I know what you're trying to accomplish, right? Like, so, so I guess in essence, what I'm saying, um, Abdulaziz, is that I meet you where you're at. I try to hear where you want to go. I give you input to potentially uh, shift slightly where you want to go because I want to evolve that thinking. I want that to involve potentially more effectiveness, potentially more humanity, right? So I want to add to that. I want to change it. I want to add to that and enhance that, right? So then we rethink that and we say, all right, where are we really going? Okay. And then I can come back, right? That's the discovery phase. But then I'm able to come back and say like, all right, if that's really where you want to go, here's the work you need to do. And here's how I can help you. 
And the reason that's really important for me to say is that this is not shifting your culture, evolving your culture, growing your company, evolving your own career. This is not like overnight work, and it, but it is very doable. So I want to honor that it, the bulk of that work will be up to them. Like I am there as the guide, um, potentially as a Sherpa at points, right? Carrying something up the mountain for them um, to help them get to the next spot. But it's not up to me to climb that mountain by myself and then put a flag on the top and say that you've arrived, right? That is their job and I am there to support them. So that that is a little bit of how it works. And, and you know, that's scalable, right? Because again, I'm very passionate. There was a time in my career that I, I was like, you know, Tesla, 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 like we have to build the biggest, best thing. We have to go all in. We got to, we got to solve all the problems at the same time. Right. But that was like an immature, honestly, it was an immature view. And now I understand, like you can't start that way. Not everybody. Tesla didn't build Tesla overnight. Right. Elon didn't do that overnight. That took years. Right. Of planning, of money, of time, of energy, of talent. So sometimes. We have to build Toyotas or Cadillacs or like tiny little Pintos, right? Which is a little car that used to be around way back in the day. So we just have to scale because if we don't start where we're at, right? If we try to bite off more than we can chew, we will not finish. And I don't want to waste anybody's time or energy or money because guess what? When we start our work together, that affects you. Your team hears about it. I don't want that to go nowhere. I want that to take incremental steps forward. So that you're actually making progress for evolution of your business success, evolution of your humanity inside of your workplace, right? That's my goal. Thank you so much. It makes me think a lot that you are similar to St. Thomas Aquinas, who said in his writings that if you want to bring someone to the path of the Lord, because that's what his writing is about, it's about theology, don't just stay in your lane or in your place. You have to walk, find where they're at, be there with them, hold them by the hand and walk with them step by step by step mm -hmm. to the way, which I thought is a wonderful metaphor for marketing. Or I saw one time a cartoon where there were two characters that they had, like they said, what do you wish right now? One of them said, I wish for a private island and a private jet and a billion dollars and etc." And the other one said, I wish for a sandwich. And then you show them next, the, <laughs> the, what the character wanted the sandwich is making a sandwich. And the other one's like, what, why do you wish for such a thing? He said, well, I'm having my sandwich. Where are, where's your billion dollars? <laughs> so <laughs> in many ways. Uh, yes. You said, don't bite off more than you can chew, which is that sandwich. Go for your sandwich that you can have and then grow and evolve from there rather than, or Kaizen, go 1% at a time. It multiplies yes, into yes, yes. incredible, incredible results rather than going and jumping in an infinitely deep end of the pool and bye-bye, you're gone forever and it never ends. Thank you so much for your time. I will write your links in the description if you have anything to conclude this because I added more just to give you freedom. If not, this was, was wonderful. Oh, thank you so much, Abdulaziz. And I'm wishing you and everyone else peace and progress. That's the focus, peace and progress. I love you're using P because you have one of my sections in the introduction is uh, proactivity, 
perspective. It's like three Ps and you added two. So we have the five Ps from Kotler <laughs> marketing. And to the listener, if you if you want to communicate with me, the best place is on Twitter at no code wealth. Send me a message anytime. I respond personally. And thank you. Have a great, fantastic day, Anna. No, you too. Mm-hmm.